Well, that's a bit of a downer. Did you hear that reading? Yeah, this is a story. We are, we are deep in this story, and this is a point in the story where we as Christians, uh, we kind of hang our heads a bit because this is part of our faith story. This is part of our faith journey. This is one of the parts in the Bible that we claim as heritage, and it is not on the greatest highlight reels of the Christian and Jewish faith this morning. We are going to be looking at the book of Judges, the book of Judges today. And uh, uh, my name is Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. We are deep into the story. It's a sermon series where we are looking at the biblical narrative. We are looking at the entire biblical story. And we're trying to do it on kind of three levels or three layers. We're looking at the big picture of who God is and what God is doing. And we begin to see who God is and what he's doing by examining kind of that middle section of, of, of practical people who lived, biblical characters who lived and were in relationship with God and did incredible things. And then also we learn from, from who God is. We begin to see how, who he is from these people. We, we see how God today relates to and applies in our own lives. That that biblical story is something continuing on that we, in fact, are a part of. And so last week we left off the story with kind of a high note Kind of a top, awesome, good moment. We left off with a guy named Joshua. You guys remember Joshua? He's this cool guy. He's a military general. He took over from Moses. And, and God brought him and said, Look, Joshua, I'm giving you this land. Nobody is going to be able to withstand you. Go in there. Take the promised land. Bring my people in. I want you to, to push out the other people that were originally in there. See, we've got to push them out. Because otherwise, otherwise, if you go in there and they're in there too, and you all settle together, it's going to get real messy real fast, Joshua. So I want you to go in there and push the others out and claim that land, take that territory for my people. I'm setting it aside for you. And that's kind of where we, we left off last week. But the beginning of that reading, you hear that there is a time where Joshua is no more. Joshua dies and the people are left in the land. And, and, and Joshua dies before the entirety of the land can be conquered. Joshua dies before everybody's pushed out, which means that, that God's people are now surrounded by other tribes, other peoples that are worshiping and practicing culturally other religions, culturally other practices. And God is getting real nervous real fast because he could see beforehand this is a bad mix. This is a bad idea. And so we find in the book of Judges that even though that Joshua had conquered and done great things, that now God's people are surrounded by and beginning to be influenced by other peoples from other gods. And really soon, really fast, we get into a lot of what the book says as social chaos really fast. When you think of a judge, God raises up these judges to help deliver God's people in the midst of this social chaos. Now, when you think of the word judge, you probably get a lot of baggage. You get an image in your mind, right? When you hear the word judge, uh, what are adjectives, descriptors that you think of when you think of the word judge? Go ahead and shout some out to me. Judge. What is that? Come on, shout them out. A gavel that I hear, maybe. Wig. 
No one thinks of the big wig. I always think of the big wig. Black robes, you said before, like the big, long black robes. Courtroom. Is that fair? Like courtroom? Judge? You think of that, right? We have to take a step back right away in the beginning because the way that the Bible uses the word judge can be confusing for us who had these pre-connotations of what a judge is. The way the Bible uses the word judge is radically different. A judge definitely has a sense of authority, but it's less of a courtroom setting and much more of a governor, a ruler. A judge is someone that God raises up and bestows authority upon to make good judgments so as to rule and govern God's people. Okay, And typically, the judge had a military aspect to him. These, these are men and women who have military prowess and who are now ruling and judging according to God's principles and keeping God's people grounded in God at a time when there's a lot of outside influences and lots of social chaos going on. The Hebrew word is shepat. Everybody say shepat. Very good. Now you know the Hebrew word for judge, shepat. And so this judge, this governor, this, this ruler are the people that God would raise up and instill his authority in to help steer God's people through the chaos that they were beginning to experience. And you always knew a judge was coming. It was always, always kind of on the horizon as soon as God's people started making some bad decisions. As soon as God's people started making some foolish choices, God raised up these rulers or judges. And we know it because there's a refrain that happens seven times in the book. As soon as you read this, it's like, oh, judge is coming. Definitely a judge coming. This is what it says. The Bible says it. A couple different nuanced words in different verses. But seven different times in the Bible it says this in the book of Judges. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, forgetting the Lord their God and worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. Baals and Asherahs were gods of the indigenous people. And so what God had said, look, I want you to go in and kick the people out, he didn't want this to happen because God's people started adopting the worship practices of the indigenous people and forgetting their God. And so God uses judges to say, hey, what are you doing? we got to keep our focus on the Lord our God. When, when the people would start to worship other gods, the gods of those indigenous peoples, God would say, like, fine, you want to be like them? I will let the indigenous tribes conquer you. You are so badly want to be like them. You want to worship their gods. You want to walk and talk like that tribe? Fine, that tribe's going to own you and enslave you. You want it? I'll give it to you. Fine. And then, and then the people would be like, oh, this was a bad move. This was a bad choice. God, deliver us. They would remember all of a sudden the God of their ancestors. And this is the point where you would see the judges raised up. Now, you can see there how many different judges are there. Twelve. Not one or two or even three. Twelve. What does that mean about God's people and making bad choices? <laughs> what does that tell you? There are 12 judges. Is it fair to say that God's people start getting into a habit, a rut, a cycle? 
You see, AC, every single time they get into a good place, they get confident, they get overconfident, and all of a sudden they go through this experience of falling to the Asherahs, they get into the experience of crying out to God for deliverance, God delivers, and then we're back to square one. And this happens over and over and over again 12 times. And you know what's so bad is that things get so, so bad as you keep going through the book of Judges. By the very end, they're not only fighting with these other indigenous tribes anymore. They're fighting each other. Cousin versus cousin. Brother versus brother. They're fighting one another. This is, like I said, not on the highlight reel of our faith. Here is the cycle. Israel does good. Israel does bad, makes some poor choices. They get what's coming. They get the consequences of their decisions. They get the consequences of their decisions. They cry out to God for help. God, in mercy, says, okay, all right, I'll send a judge. And he raises us to this judge as a short-term fix, hoping that the judge is going to last. But as soon as the judge dies, this cycle begins to repeat. The book of Judges, this time period, this part of the story, this chapter in the story, it begs a question. Have you ever been stuck in a cycle? You ever been stuck in a rut? Stuck in a cycle? Where the same things keep happening over and over again, the same bad choices? For whatever reason, we seem to be really good at making the same bad decisions, don't we? And we fall to the same temptations. We fall to the same bad situations that we find ourselves in. And then we swear off that we're never going to be in that space. And we cry out, God, deliver us. And he delivers us. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, next week, (laughs) we're back in that same spot. Have you ever had a repetitive cycle that you just feel stuck in? In your life. I'm sure you could name them. At work, at home, in relationships, with your spouse, with your friend, things we say, things we do. Now there's an important principle that you need to know about cycles. There's a really important principle that applies to every cycle that's out there. When you get into the conversation around cycles... Cycles, these repetitive things, are not static. They're not two-dimensional. They're actually 3D. Cycles are spirals. We don't always see it. We don't always perceive it. But a cycle is actually a spiral. You see, when we start to make the decisions, whether good decision or bad decision, they will actually, in their cycle, move us up or down. Let me give you an example. If you are in a relationship, let's say you and your spouse, if you're married, this is a good example. If you're married and you find yourself in a cycle, you can be in a good cycle. Have you ever been in a good cycle before? If you're married, probably. It was called dating. (laughs) That was your good cycle. (laughs) 
It was great, wasn't it? I mean, you'd see them, and then you'd have a great night, and you'd have lots of fun, and you'd build each other up, and then you would just be flying high, right? And then you'd wait to do it all over again. You'd be like looking at the phone, like, how soon can I call so we can do this again, so we can go out and, and have another round of our cycle, so we can spend time together and get to know one another. And your self-esteem builds up, and your courage builds up, and, and who you are in your character, right? And you want to be the best kind of person that you can be for that person and and the cycle actually builds you both up things actually get better and better in terms of your person because a cycle is always a spiral now on the flip side on the flip side 10 years goes by you're now married and you have a little one at home i see mine over there bouncing And you're not on uh, a lot of sleep, right? And you have stress at work, right? And all of a sudden, you have the potential to slip into a different kind of cycle with your spouse. It's very easy all of a sudden to find yourself slipping into the cycle of being, you know, much more short-tempered. And all of a sudden, you begin to see that in your temper, you're saying stupid stuff. And, and, and as the cycle repeats itself, you begin to see that your temper actually flares up faster and faster. Have you ever noticed that? You get angrier, easier, and quicker. And your relationship is actually degenerating and deteriorating. It's not just like the cycle happens once over and over again and you stay the same. But in fact your relationship will break down. Cycles are spirals. This is evidenced in the biblical narrative in the Bible, in the book of Judges. What starts off is really cool rock star judges. This guy named Othniel, he's like a stud. He's like a Hebrew stud. He's got a big beard and he's burly and strong and he's a, he's a judge, you know? He's a good guy. Twelve judges later, you get to a guy called Samson. And if you were here a couple of years ago, you know a little bit about Samson. We did a sermon series on Samson. He is not what you would call an upstanding guy. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's a womanizer. We went from Othniel, awesome, cool, super dude, to Samson. There's a lot of baggage. In his life. And we begin to see that there is even a character spiral downward as the judges themselves deteriorate. And what starts as war outside with the tribes around Israel all of a sudden switches. By the end of the story, we get to war within Israel. The cycle has repeated itself of war so many times that now they're fighting one another. And it all has to do with that principle, cycles are spirals. Cycles are spirals. The end of the book of Judges finishes with a very specific verse. This is the last verse in the book of Judges. We are literally coming beginning to end today. This is the last verse in the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. 
all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This one verse becomes the summary. It's, it's the cliff notes of the entire book of Judges. This is your cliff notes. You didn't even need to read the whole book. Just flip to the end and read this little verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Hmm, there's something going on there with the king. We'll unpack that in a minute. Second part, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You see, what happened to God's people and what so often happens to us is that we get stuck in these cycles and spirals when we decide to do life our way based on what we think is best, based on what we're feeling in the moment, and we decide to do what seems right in our eyes, in our emotions, in our thoughts, as opposed to submitting ourselves to God's thoughts and God's ways and God's authority we instead step back and say, I'm going to do what I think is right in this situation. And we forget God, and we end up chasing after Baals and Asherahs. We end up doing life the way we think it should be done. There is a warning in the book of Judges. This is a very real warning for you and for me. It was a warning to the people in the Bible, and so too for us. When we ignore God, when people ignore God and do whatever we think is best in our ways, in our thoughts, and in our moments, we will slip into destructive and downward spirals, cycles in life. We need to be able to name that. We need to be able to name that. We, you and I, we make mistakes and experience cycles in life. Just like the book of Judges. Now the good news is that the same God who is compassionate in reaching over and over into the people and raising up a judge, raising up a deliverer, someone who is going to rescue and recenter people, God continues to work. That same God of mercy and compassion is still active today and working today. But the end of the book of Judges shows how he now works. Because the whole judges thing didn't quite take. Is that fair to say? I mean, the judges thing didn't quite pan out. We needed a longer lasting solution than raising up a solitary judge doing good during that judge's lifetime. Then that judge dies and everything goes to pot again. We need someone or something that is going to last far longer, far greater. And in fact, there isn't going to be a point where that person dies and then is no more. But we need someone who's going to last well beyond that. We need what, what the Bible describes as that king. You see, what the Bible's doing here is foreshadowing to you and to me and to the people in this book what God's next solution is. We're getting a peek ahead. In those days, Israel had no king. Guess what's coming next? A king. 
king. And in fact, God is so good. This is so cool. This is so neat. You don't have to be a Bible nerd to think this is cool, okay? Because not only is the king that this is specifically referring to in the close at hand, when we pick up the story next summer, when we pick this up, see, you've got, you've got plenty of time to review and to prepare, okay? All right? Because when we pick this up next summer, we're going to start off learning about a king, specifically the greatest king next to one other in Israel's history, is, is this young guy, he's got ruddy complexion, he plays the harp, he's a great general, he's a ladies' man, he's a stud. I mean, I'm just not going to lie, he's a stud. And he's got a big, long uh, narrative that goes along with him. Anyone know who I'm talking about? King David. Very good. The Bible is alluding to God's solution is a king, King David. Now, what's amazing about this is that you and I, much later on, much longer and deeper into this story, are able to read this same verse, look at this same book, the book of Judges, and realize that God is not only forecasting the king named David, is he? You see, God's long-lasting solution is indeed a king. It takes a king to break us of the cycles that we so often find ourselves in. It takes a king to reverse the downward spiral and move it from going down to pointed up, to elevate our lives. It takes a king and king's authority and a king's power to make a radical difference in our world and in our personal lives. It takes a king. And King David himself foreshadows a much greater, much more powerful king. There is a uh, phrase that the New Testament uses. Uh, Christians, if you're a Christian, this is a phrase you might have heard before. It's called Christos Rex. You ever hear this before? Rex in, uh, uh, in biblical languages means king. Rex means king. Guess what Christos means? Christ. Anointed one. Chosen one. Christ the king. You see, you and I, we are deep enough in the story to realize the king that God is foreshadowing is not only King David. No, 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 no. The lasting solution is not actually King David. The lasting solution is King David's heir, Christ Jesus. Only Christ Jesus has the power to reverse the downward spirals and break the cycles of social chaos in our world, in the news, in your homes, in your relationships. Only Christ Jesus the King has the power to break our cycles. I'll be honest with you, I wish I could give you like 10 steps to step out of the cycle in your life that you're experiencing right now. I wish the Bible would make it real clear, real easy, like, here you go, you're experiencing a, 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 a difficult cycle, a downward spiral right now with a friend, with a family member, with a business situation. I wish I could just like, plunk, here you go. But the Bible doesn't do that. 
What it does is it says, look, there is a king. His name is Jesus. He alone has the power and desire to break you out of your spiral. Submitting to his lordship and his kingship in the way he wants you to do life is the only thing that can break us out of the spirals. It means in that moment when you're with your spouse and you're, you're having that moment and it could go down and it could go up, by God's intervention and grace it goes up because you choose to express love and grace instead of hate and spite. It means when you're at work and you have that moment and that repetitive cycle happens again and you bump into that same person and you're bumping heads and you're frustrated. It means in that moment you embody Jesus Christ and you act with grace and honor and kindness, humility and reverence and submission. And you break the spiral. And God begins to build up the relationships. It means whatever addictions you have, whatever uh, things we chase, we chase after all sorts of gods, don't we? I mean, when you think about it, we chase after lots of gods. Security, money, sex. Shopping can be a god. Toys and, and cars and houses. and We chase after all sorts of, t- of different gods. Jesus Christ enters into your life to say, I set you free from that. I will break the cycle. And I will work in your life to deliver you. He alone is the lasting solution, the lasting, long, everlasting king. He himself reverses cycles. He takes fear and he brings peace. He takes hopelessness, desperation. And when Christ gets involved, there's all of a sudden hope. He takes, he takes death, death itself. And he begins to reverse the cycle. By moving from death to life. Where we think there is no more hope, no more life to be had, Jesus Christ intervenes and says, I will break this cycle of death and I promise you life. There is life. My, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is to name the cycles in your life. Name the spirals that you find yourself in. Take them seriously. Th- this book is a warning to us. If you find yourself in a rut, in a cycle, name it. You can do that on the half sheet. Take it home. Find a quiet moment and write, what cycle am I stuck in? And then pray and ask for Christ to get involved in it, to break that cycle to be king and lord in the permanent authority over you and that cycle. Because Christ alone, that coming king, he alone can break it and bring us newness of life. This is both a a warning and a promise. Let's close with a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we confess to you that too often we we slip into situations and circumstances where we repeat the same mistakes, we repeat the same cycles, and those cycles do indeed deteriorate us. They destroy us, and we cry out to you now, just as the Israelites, just as the Hebrews, and ask that you would indeed save us. Continue to save us as you have already begun. Bring us into deliverance. Break the cycles in our lives that destroy and instead reverse them into cycles that build up and bless. Jesus, we look to you to do this. We cannot do this alone. So we ask through your power and through your mercy that you would indeed be king and lord over us. And in those moments where we are so tempted to slip into old habits that you would show up and be present and be king. And that you would demand of us our submission and our choices. And in doing so, you would free us from our cycles. Jesus, we turn to you. We ask this of you because we know that you did indeed come and walk this earth, that you reversed the greatest and most destructive cycle of death itself. That you would look upon death and instead speak a word of life. Life after death. So work in us now. Work in us now to reverse these cycles of destruction and move them towards life. We ask this and pray this because we know you are indeed the lasting solution, the lasting king. Thank you for the warning and the promise in the book of Judges. It's in your name we pray. Amen.